Well, I went out and saw the blood moon last night. <laughs> yeah. Who are those crazy howlers? <laughs> a little scary. Werewolves. It was awesome. Hey, uh, let me just say how uh, awesome it's been to be with you all and uh, for me to unpack uh, this scripture with you and uh, invite you a little into my story and to let you know, too, that uh, when I'm up here talking, I'm actually, I feel like I'm talking to my own face, quite frankly. Uh, you know, even last, last night, uh, that message, thinking about today being Martin Luther King's celebration of his life and what he did, that was a heavy message that I want you to know uh, I was speaking to me, and so if I could drag you a little along in my journey, that's all right. And we'll still continue to wrestle with all of this. Um, but what a privilege. I just like you Minnesota people. I don't get it. I keep <laughs> thinking that something's... What are cheese curds, by the way? <laughs> I'm going to get some of those tonight with a friend. I'm staying with a friend. He goes, oh, we're going to take you out for cheese curds. That's something you guys do. Yeah. Am I going to like them? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, would you grab a hand and let me pray as we uh, step in to our word today. I, and I, I like grabbing hands just because I feel there's something about human connection and the reality at F Family Fest that we are a part of something and that we're not alone. That uh, sometimes, I don't know, maybe you Minnesotans, you Lutherans can get a little tight and, and forget that we need to physically feel that uh, we're not alone in this journey. So let me pray. God, thanks for being amongst us this weekend into this holiday. God, thank you for the friendship, the history, the stories that are sitting in this room. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who gives us the exact representation of who you are. That if we want to know you, God, we get Jesus. 
and he was radically cool, a little dangerous. He was someone that pushed us and loved us and is that person that I would believe everybody in this room is leaning in towards. Help us to become more like him, Father. Thanks for the children, the kids, the high school, college students that are serving in this place. I don't think, well, we probably just got to stop and say, we are truly blessed, Lord, for these kind of opportunities. And help us to understand, why do we get this? Why were we born here? What would you ask of us? Why is it that we weren't born in Saudi Arabia or Ethiopia, that somehow we were here? And help us to wrestle with this means as we uh, strive to become more like your son. I pray in your name. Amen. There's this verse in Mark chapter 6. It's right before Jesus walks out on the water, which I was going to talk about the idea of Jesus walking on the water, which, you know, is that really scary deal where the disciples are in this boat and here's Jesus walking. And uh, Peter, he's such a doof. uh, And he's, hey, if it's you, you know, let me come out. And then, of course, Jesus says, come on out. And then as a guy, you know, you have to, you can't go back on that one, you know, and his buddy's, he has to go out. But uh, the line that hit me is verse 45. It says, immediately, Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And so when I look at that, I don't know about you, if you've ever had to make somebody do something, like he had to make his disciples get in the boat because they obviously did not want to get in the boat. And if you, you if you've had children, which most of you have, you know what it's like to have to make your kids do stuff, uh, like clean their rooms, um, pick up their toys. You know, you're standing there. I just remember sitting there with my oldest daughter, who was very strong-willed, uh, and standing there for like an hour. You say you're sorry. No, you know, you say you're sorry. You know, and and or, or give me the stick. You know, no, you know, give me the stick right now. You know, these, you, we've all had to make our kids do stuff, right? Um, or put down grandma's china plate. Put it back on the table now. I'm, you, I, you know, you, we all have had to make, so if, when you have to make somebody do something, it's because they, they do not want to do it. And so I have to go back and see what was it that forced Jesus to make his disciples get into the boat. Well, here it is. We alluded to it yesterday evening. It's uh, the story of the feeding of the, of the 5,000. And so uh, let me read this section of Scripture because it, it leads up to why Jesus had to make his disciples get in a boat. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, which you can imagine the craziness of these 12 guys that were hanging around Jesus. They, he, he was the phenom. He was the celebrity. Everybody was coming around him. These guys were tired. And it says, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Let's go to Grandview. Let's take a break from it all. I've heard some of you saying here, man, it's kind of, we have to face the reality this afternoon. You know, welcome home. And I wish this could go on a little longer. Um, 
The disciples were definitely looking forward to a retreat with just them and Jesus out at the campground, out at the resort, the retreat center on the lake. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Oh, bummer. Uh, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, well, that would take more than a half a year's wages. And where are we to go and spend that much money on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. We'll go and see. When they found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. Well, we know in John chapter 6, there's another story. We don't have it in in Mark, but they actually found a little boy's lunch. If if we remember this in John, and and they have, have the lunch, and they had five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves, and then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He was also divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten were 5,000, and then we think there were women and children, so there was a lot of people there at the lakeshore at the retreat center that day into the evening. Um, I want to talk about three words, uh, grumpy, leftovers, and grace. Uh, But before I do, uh, I want us to watch this video. I think you should hit the lights because it's really important. Actually, uh, Fairchild Air Force Base, I can't get it out, near Spokane, Uh, They've used something like this as sort of uh, a testing ground to see just how a pilot might react and be aware of all that's going on in his his, uh, scope of sight. So just watch this really carefully. Uh, Maybe you've seen it. If you've seen it, don't say anything. Just watch. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My prayer every morning is, Lord, may I see the world through your eyes. 
Because if I look at it through my eyes, I can freak myself out. May I see, Jesus, the things that you see. That's my prayer every morning. I want to talk about grumpy. Jesus is aware of the real need. Jesus sees the moonwalking bear. Jesus shows up as they're heading out to this remote place, this resort, this retreat center where they're finally getting away. And it says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them. And you can imagine the disciples. I mean, if I'm there, I'm like, here we go again. Jesus never stops. And he gets out of the boat. And this word compassion, the word in Greek is splagizomai. We get the word spleen from it, actually. It literally means from your guts. Compassion is this word. It's a godly word in which Jesus steps out of the boat at the resort. He pulls up on the nice lake shore. He walks out and sees 5,000 men and women and children. The disciples are probably still in the boat going, crap. This is going to be a great retreat. You know, can you imagine coming here and there would be a whole other group, you know, not us here at, at Grandview? You know, and here's Jesus. He has this deep compassion for the people, and he begins to teach them all these things. The way Jesus sees and the way his disciples see are absolutely different. Jesus saw something else. He saw people, people who had real needs, people who were really poor, people who really needed his help. He had compassion. His disciples had irritation. They were grumpy. You know, this is the reality. I mean, if you think about your own lives, if Jesus walked into, if you're a business person here, into your office tomorrow morning, what would he see compared to what you see? If Jesus walked into the 24-hour fitness center where you work out, what would he see? And what would I see? If Jesus walked into Caribou Coffee when you meet your friend there to have a little bagel and have a cup of coffee, what would Jesus see in that coffee shop all around and what would you see? I seem to always miss the moonwalking bear. And the disciples would be a lot like me. They're, I, I picture them getting out of the boat, all these people, probably going over to a shade tree by the side of the lake. The water's kind of coming up and they're just watching this scene going this is going to be a great retreat and then it starts to get you know how many hours did this go on and then it starts to get dark and finally I always think it's Peter because he's the voice of the people you know <laughs> Peter just says the things everybody else thinks he walks up to Jesus and he says this here's what it says in verse 35 um, by the time it was uh, by, by this time it was late in the day so the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And then Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, well, that would take like more than a half year's wages. Now, you've got to put some emotion into this scene. You know, again, we read these scriptures in 30 seconds. But, you know, I mean, what are we supposed to do? Spend all that money and give them to eat? And then Jesus says, well, how many loaves of, of, uh, and fish do you have? Or whatever. Go and see. And I can imagine. It's like they're talking to Jesus. Hey, it's, it, it, it's late. It's, it's, send them away, and we're supposed to have a retreat. 
And Jesus says, well, you, you guys feed them. And they're like, like how? What, what, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> the other disciples are coming up. What are we supposed to do? Like what, get John's debit card and go in to, to Little Caesars? <laughs> that would like cost like a half a year's worth of money. I mean, what, it's ridiculous. And then I think Jesus gave them the look. You know, the, the look is that look that my mom gave me when I was in junior high, where I would be watching, you know, like, I don't know, I would have been playing video games today, but I was watching cartoons or something on Saturday morning, and I'd hear my mom say, hey, Ken, would you take out the garbage, please? I'd be down there, yeah. And about 15 minutes later, she'd come down and go, I told you to take out the garbage. And I'd be like on the couch going, like now? And she would give me the look. You know, you'd get up and take out the garbage, you know. I mean, I think Jesus gave the disciples a look. What are you supposed to do? It's like a half year's wages. What are you supposed to do? Get a bunch of food for them? And Jesus gave them a look. And they went. You know, and they're just like, so stupid. You see him walking around, you know, just out like, you feed him like this. Just have a retreat. Hey, kid. You imagine this little boy. He's got this lunch, you know. Yeah, give me the freaking... And Jesus, then Jesus is like, what do you got there? Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, well, let's feed them. You know, breadsticks and a couple, you know, fish. There, there you go. And then Jesus does this amazing thing. I mean, he keeps breaking the bread, dividing the fish, and all these people eat. And it says that they had leftovers. <laughs> we talked about this a little last night. This is different than the feeding of the 4,000, where there were seven in Canaanite territory. This is 12, which is, you know, the authors of this book were putting together some beautiful symbolism around the idea that Jesus has a lot of grace, a basket for every disciple. I always say this. Those disciples are lucky I'm not Jesus. Like, after this big miracle, you know, you can just imagine these disciples, this, all of a sudden their whole demeanor changes. What? He's still, can you imagine? They went from grumpy, like whatever, to, to watching this, these loaves and these fish divide and divide, and people eat and eat, and then they're out, and they're, they're picking up like 12 basketfuls, and you can imagine them all coming together, each with a basket full of food, going, what? You know, they're over here kind of by like, What? You know, and all of a sudden, the, everything begins to change, change. Like, wow. I mean, if I was Jesus, I, I would have been over here with this at the end of the whole feeding, seeing my boys over there with their 12 baskets, like, about to eat. And I'd say, hey, come over here. Bring the baskets. No, br bring, Andrew, get the basket. Bring it over here now. Yeah, here's the deal. You guys have been just, uh, you've had just terrible attitudes all day. I get here, and you've been standing over there all grumpy, all like, blah, blah, not caring for real people. Do you see these people? And now all of a sudden, oh, you're changed, and you just want to eat all this food. Look at all the leftovers. Well, uh, no, no, no. Your attitudes suck. So you're going to bed. No food for you. You know, just get it. You know, but Jesus, grace, even in the midst of their grumpiness, allows them to have a bath. Hey, by the way, how would you define grace? Like, turn to your neighbor. How do you define grace? Go ahead, talk.
It's a very God, biblical kind of word. How do you define grace? Somebody's pointing back here. How, how do you define grace? What's your name? Jillian. Yeah, how do you define grace? Um, just yeah, getting something you don't deserve. I love it. Somebody else want to throw in? How, 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 do you define, how do you define grace, Mike? Uh, forgiveness. forgiveness is grace. Yeah, how do you define grace, Carol, Christina? Yeah, understanding, but it's 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 a deep understanding, right? Yeah. How do you define grace? Unmerited favor. That's how I learned it. I think it was in the theology book I read. Grace is unmerited favor. Uh, getting something you don't deserve. I'm always trying to find new words to meet, particularly my high school kids that I work at a young life club to try to get them to understand. Sometimes new wording helps. So here's my new definition of grace: profound unfairness. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's like, it's not fair that those disciples get a basket full of food after their grumpy attitudes. Yeah, it isn't fair. It, it, it's grace. That's the way God rolls. Profound unfairness. Jesus, right after this, makes his disciples get in the boat. I mean, right after this, Jesus makes his disciples get in the boat. And then he goes off to pray, which is quite interesting. I always get a little challenged by this one because whenever I have a big retreat or something happens like in young life, we just have the big event, the big camp or whatever, you know, uh, usually us, I usually go get a beer. Uh, (laughs) Jesus goes to pray like, oh, crap. (laughs) You know, (laughs) Uh, yeah. And immediately, and again, this is the way my mind works. I mean, you can see these disciples. Again, this picture of what must have happened that day. The disciples are over here with these baskets of food while Jesus is probably still doing his thing for a while. And all of a sudden, these grumpy disciples who you know, were just ticked off that they were you know, overcrowded at the retreat center, this beautiful lakeside resort, And all of a sudden, they went from being grumpy, taking a kid's lunch and sending the people away to sitting there. You can imagine, Peter, hey, guys, look at this food. I mean, this is unbelievable. Can you you see the picture? And all this stuff was like, whoa. Like, hey, we're with this guy. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're like his homeboys. (laughs) We're with him. Like, he's taking food. Like, we got a feeding program here. I mean, we're going to, can you imagine a church? I mean, we're going to build a church. This is it. This is the location, location, location. That's the key. We're going to be on Oprah. I mean, here's the deal. We're going to put, can you imagine this? The Bass and Bread Baptist Church. 
this is unbelievable. You know, the, the Northern Pike and Pita Church of God. We're going to put it right here. And we're going to get our families, build a little resort center, put some tennis courts, and we're, we're going to be on TV. This is the greatest thing ever. And look at the view. Look at this shoreline. And this, we have made it. And they're about to eat this food. And Jesus goes, hey, guys, get in the boat. And they're like, get in the boat. He had to make him get in. You know, I mean, Pastor, we, we, why? We don't want to get in the boat. You know, get in the boat. Well, he's probably pushing him into the boat. You know, we don't want to get in the freaking boat. And they got in the boat and left their vision of a resort, the fame, feeding program, everything. I mean, the Christian life, the Jesus life is not to be lived on the lakeshore. The Christian life is not meant to be lived at the resort. The Christian life is not to be lived in the comfort of that beautiful grassy lakeshore. It's meant to be lived in a boat. Jesus made them get into a boat and go over to Canaanite territory and meet a woman they hated. That's where it goes. But we like the grassy lake shores. <laughs> and uh, Jesus pushes us to live our life in a boat. And to step out of the boat into the messy, storm-filled lives of broken, hurting people. I never see the moon walking bare. Jesus does. I said when we talked about the social media stuff that love is not efficient, although everything in our world with you know, this and this is about efficiency. We can get more done and quicker amounts of time. Love is not efficient. It's, it's way easier to hate people, to hate Canaanites. It's way easier and more efficient to send the people home than to feed them. It's way more efficient to, to stay at the lakeside and, and not get in a boat. We get so caught up. I mean, for me, I get so caught up in my little issues that I never see the moon walking bare. I never see the needs of real people around me. And a lot of issues aren't that important to me. Like the other day, this is just last week, I, got, I, I was cussing, dropping F-bombs because I lost my hydro flask. You know, and then I had to go get some snow tires on my car. I don't know if you have Les Schwab tire centers here. We have them. It's kind of a West Coast thing. They're supposed to be this really efficient place to go get your tires done. And, it's, you know, they, there's, you know, they're awesome, supposedly. At least they're commercials. And I went there with my grandson because he was staying with us. And, uh, and they were rebuilding and redesigning the, the whole parking lot. And I couldn't freaking get into this thing. And it was a wait. And it was all confusing. And I was just going crazy with my grandson because I couldn't get my tires changed, you know. A lot of times, my issues, I, I, I just don't see the way that Jesus sees. I'm looking at life through my stupid eyes. 
I don't know if you've seen this, but this is uh, first world problems spoken by third world kids. Listen, it's just a little riveting. Seven more minutes. I first saw that, and it kind of cut me short. And I realized, wow. You know, you, you, you just stop and realize, man, it kind of puts things in perspective, doesn't it? When we get comfortable, when life gets easy, it's easy to forget that we were created to do something incredible. I said it the very first night we were together. We were created to reflect God. To be in right relationship with God, with each other, and the earth. And we were created to do God stuff. To put the kibosh on anything that doesn't bring the goodness to people. To name things for God and his kingdom. That's our job. We can enjoy Grandview. But life is meant to be lived back there. We're called to get into boats. And to step out into the messy lives of people. You know, I... 2006, in my Young Life Club at Mount Spokane High School, uh, Cole Cresilius and Stuart Ramsey and Travis Hartnoff, I have a picture of these dudes, uh, were, uh, there they are right there, uh, back. There they are up there in the corner. That's their senior prom at Mount Spokane High School. These dudes, they were cross-country runners. They were in my Young Life Club. I was with them when they came to know who Jesus was in their life. And uh, they were doofy guys that were really cool, but I guess it's cool. They, they, they crocheted. Cole's grandma taught him how to crochet, and he started crocheting. And to make money to get this big limo and do this big thing at prom, they sold these hats. I didn't bring my hat. And they called themselves the, cro the crochet kids. That's what they did in high school. They were like, you doofs. That's so ridiculous. You know, everywhere they would go, they were crocheting these little beanies. And they were selling them to all their parents' friends and, and then all the, their high school friends. And they made a bunch of money and rented a huge limo and went crazy. And then after it, they still stayed friends, and they started a company. Cole and Stuart went to Uganda and saw the poverty in Uganda and had a vision, just one of those things. And they came back, and they started Crochet Kids International. And they set up this incredible school in which they have women that are on the abject poverty. They teach them how to crochet. And they set up these factories, got sewing machines, and then give them a savings account and educate them and give them a program to start their own businesses. And they've started this thing called Crochet Kids. And they're killing it. They're making no money, but they're empowering women in Africa to feed and support their families through stupid little beanies. I'm not going to show the video, Lacey. Um, and you might think, well, that, 
That's kind of huge. I, I don't have big visions like that. Like I often think, man, I wish I could. How did... How does that happen? You know, that somebody just has that kind of vision and thinking that there's just knuckleheads that are 20 years old, 21 years old, and they're starting a company. Uh, how do they even pull that off? And they just went for it. They took the risk. They knew it could fail, and it's turned into this incredibly, they just started a whole production in Peru doing the same thing. These three doofy cross-country runners at Mount Spokane High School who sewed, you know, crocheted beanies to make money to get a limo for their senior prom. You might think, well, that's huge. I don't know if I could pull something like that off. Here's this verse, and I shared it with your, your, uh, your students yesterday, the, the KCs. It's this verse says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. I, I shared with the KCs yesterday that my junior year, the summary for my senior year in college, actually, or in, in high school, I actually gave my life to Jesus. And I remember somebody about a month later at a retreat used this verse, and it changed my life. The thought that all of a sudden I'm not a mistake or there's not a random chance, that somehow when I said, God, okay, I'm in with you, Jesus, I'm going to do this stuff. I'm going to live my identity. I'm going to reflect you, be in right relationship, do God's stuff. It's like God pulled a scroll out and said, Kent McDonald, Kent and God, here's what we're doing. Whoa, we got some big things. And he prepared those in advance for you to do. This is our calling. Like, that's too big. Well, it starts with little things, too. Like, I remember my next-door neighbor, Thomas. He's on the spectrum. He was picked on. He's got a little bit of this... Osberger is kind of... He's really smart, but he was always picked on at school, always the one that was kind of like, oh, he's just a little odd... And we all went to Young Life Camp. In fact, Lynn, it was um, Jerry Havens who, who went to that camp and came to know Jesus. He and Ian, a friend of his, Ian Bowles, these were stud soccer players at Mount Spokane High School. And there was Thomas in his cabin with all these other guys who was kind of the outcast. And I came back, we came back from camp. Two days later, I'm out mowing my lawn, and Jerry, this senior in high school, is my next-door neighbor across the street. Here's Thomas, my next-door neighbor right here, I'm mowing my lawn, and I see Thomas out picking weeds. His mom was making him pick some weeds or something out in the summer days. And all of a sudden, Jerry and Ian pull up in a truck. I see him. I'm, I kind of stopped the lawn while I'm watching, and I see Thomas's mom. She was working in the garden. She stood up, and we're kind of watching. She's in her yard. I'm in our... And they're talking with Thomas, Ian and Jerry, these cool dudes. And then Thomas gets in the truck, and they go off together. And I realized they were going off to McDonald's and, and to go do something. And Lynn turns around. This is Thomas's mom. And she's got tears in her eyes. And I came over to her and she said, that's the first time anybody's asked my son to do anything. And that day I just realized Jerry and Ian, as they stepped into the story of God, they reflected him got in right relationship and did God's stuff and brought the kingdom to Thomas. This is Micah Sanders. Somewhere here is Micah Sanders. He uh, was a freshman. There he is right there in the pink shirt in my Foundations for Christian Leadership class. 
And in this class, we talked about incarnational ministry, and then we did this Young Life training program about, you know, hey, kids need to know that when you say something, you show up, because kids have been so abandoned. The last thing they need for you to do is make a promise and then abandon them and not follow through. So Micah meets a seventh-grade kid at Centennial Middle School, and saw him at a, at a thing, and, and the kid said, hey, I have a football game t t tomorrow. Uh, will you come? And Micah goes, yeah. Well, the next day, it turned out to be a pretty cold day in Spokane, a November day. And Micah goes out, and his car wouldn't start. And he's got to get to this game down in the valley, which is 13 miles away. Micah, this is the story, gets on a bike and rides to the game, gets there at the second half, and watches this kid's game, and then rides all the way back. You think, oh, that's just ridiculous. But that one instance of reflecting God and just going for it, getting into the boat, seeing the moonwalking bear, changed it. Their, their uh, I think his name is, I can't think of his name. Oh, go, go back. Right next to um, uh, Micah is, is the kid that he went to see play football, and he got all his friends to go to camp, and they all came to know who Jesus was. Ryan Chelly, this next picture. There he is right up there. Just graduated this year from Whitworth University stepped into our Capernaum ministry, which is working with kids that have special needs that are impaired physically and mentally in wheelchairs. He started a Young Life Club for them. He's got 12 college students working with him, and by the time he was done with his senior year, he started a Capernaum talent show that meets at the auditorium of Whitworth University. 300 people came to watch these kids here that Ryan Shelley started that club with those kids in Spokane who have no one who cares for them and put a talent show together for them. And it's talking about Jesus with them every week and just got hired on at Reality Ministries up in North, uh, North Carolina to work with physically and mentally impaired people. And it's coming back to Spokane to start a program to work with special needs kids. I mean, these are the little things that we do every day that change the lives. That's what following Jesus is about. And I close with this. This is Jan Paderewski, uh, born in 1860, died in 1941. <laughs> Looks like a crazy man. Uh, he was considered in Poland to be the premier concert pianist, a virtuoso. In fact, many would say he was the best pianist the world has known. Uh, he was born in Poland. People would come to hear him play. He was incredible. But then, during World War I, he got hired into the into political world to be the prime minister and, and gave up piano for 30 years or, or more to be in the political world. And finally, at about age 75, he decided to come back and, and perform again as a pianist. Spent years practicing and finally had his one big moment where he was going to reveal the, the concert. Jan Paderewski is back. And so everybody came to hear him, and of course the big concert hall, and everybody was a tuxedo affair, and uh, a mom brought a little six-year-old boy to come and hear him play because she had been giving piano lessons to her son and wanted to hear the greatest. So they came to the concert, they're standing in line for the tickets, and um, the little boy looks through the main doors down the hallway and sees this piano up on the stage, and he leaves his mom and runs down the aisle and jumps up onto the piano, sits on the bench, and sits down and starts playing chopsticks. 
bum, 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 bum. You know, the kid had ADHD or, ADHD or something. He was just in his zone. And people are like, what? And there's this commotion in the, in the crowd. And the mom all of a sudden realizes, oh, no, looks down and sees her son on stage. And so she's coming down the middle aisle, you know, like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And the kid's just in his zone, you know, and she's coming down the middle aisle. There's all this commotion. Jan Paderewski's in the back by the curtain, and he sees this kid, and he sees this mom, and he hears this noise, and he walks out onto the stage, and he says, and he walks over to the kid who's just in the zone, and he leans over to him. And says, keep going. And Jan Paderewski puts his arms around this kid. And he just whispers in his ear, don't stop. Keep going. And he began to play this etude, this orchestrated music all around chopsticks. They went on for five minutes. And he kept whispering, just keep going. Keep going. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And at the end of almost five minutes, they stood up, hung on their hands, and bowed to a standing ovation. There's times that your life's going to feel like chopsticks. Most of us don't like Jesus looking in our lunch bag. A couple of croutons and a sardine. But when God wraps his arms around your little story, he can make chopsticks sound like an orchestra, and it can change the world. That's your call. I don't care how old you are. It's not just for kids. Your call is to take your little lunch and let God use you and break it to feed the world. That's our call. May God use you and bless you. And may you live the story that you were created to live in. Reflect God. Be in right relationship with God, the people, and this earth, and do God stuff. Name your office for him. Name 20-hour fitness for God. Don't miss the moonwalking bear. We're going to close with a song.